Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hefe Sports Podcast. Spring has officially sprung in Ohio, and that means it's time for the sunshine and warm weather, right? Well, I mean, if you're listening from Ohio, let's be honest, you never know what's going to happen. It could snow one day, could rain the next day, and then be 95 degrees out the very next day. So people in Ohio, be patient. Good weather's coming, but just got to wait on it. And for those who might not know, one of my favorite sports is coming up. That's right. It's baseball season. And there's no better person to welcome in the new season with me than my special guest today. He is a 12-time All-Star, a nine-time Silver Slugger, a three-time Gold Glove Award winner, a 1995 National League MVP, and a 1990 World Series champion. He is the smooth fielding, steady swinging Hall of Fame shortstop from the Cincinnati Reds, Mr. Barry Larkin. Thank you, Jeff. That was an awesome introduction. What you forgot was the Michigan alum. Uh, I know we talked no. about it a little bit, but I had to come <laughs> at you early and often with it. Barry, we man, were we were just talking story. about this. You yes, talked we about were. it for a good 15 minutes. I don't want to hear any more about Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, man. It's good to be with you, bro. I'm looking forward to the baseball season for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, first, let me congratulate you on your new role joining the Reds broadcasting crew this year. How excited are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I uh, had an opportunity when I uh, retired to work at uh, MLB Network and start uh, at the beginning there. I did a lot of studio work and, uh, and called some games. And then I transferred over to ESPN and kind of expanded my role. Um, then I got out of, uh, out of broadcast and went back onto the field, which is what I really love, player development. Um, and with COVID and things changing in the industry so much, you know, the Reds came to me and asked me uh, if I would be interested in doing some broadcast. Uh, you know, of course, well, we had some issues down there uh, with Tom Brenneman in the past or this past season. And I called the Reds when that happened and told them if they needed me to step in, I would be willing to do that. And uh, so I showed them that I had some interest in doing it. And, you know, thank goodness they reached out to me this year and said, hey, listen, we really would like you to come and be part of the broadcast. And uh, would you be interested in doing it? And I said, absolutely. So I'm excited about it, man. And uh, just to get back in the booth and you know, John Sadak, who will be the play-by-play uh, -play guy, is an awesome dude. And I'm looking forward to having a lot of great conversations about the game because you and I spoke about it. You know, being in this industry, it is about telling a story. I like to tell a story in real time and why things are happening, what's happening, but why things are happening. You know, obviously people can see on TV what's happening, but the, as to why or what should have happened in that particular situation, I'm looking forward to having conversations about that. Yeah. And I will say that one thing about baseball is that it's a very intricate sport. You know, people, the average fan might just see a home run, but what I'm really looking for from the Reds broadcast booth, and I think that you'll be great at this is, you know, telling the different pitch combinations, telling why he pitched that single pitch rather than a fastball or a curveball, and really just breaking down the game. Cause I've played baseball my whole life, but most people, they just tune in just because it's on. But really understanding the game 
I think you guys will be a great, I think you guys will do a great job with that. And I'm really excited to see you back in the booth. And I'm pretty sure I can speak for all of Red's country to say that, Barry. Well, I appreciate that. I look forward to it, man. I, I just look at it as a great opportunity. And, um, you know, who knows what will uh, morph from this opportunity, but it is all about educating. You know, I think the worst thing as a fan, uh, and I'm a fan of many sports, many of which I don't really understand the intricacies, and you mentioned that, of the sport. One of the things that I'm looking forward to is really kind of explaining and, and giving an insider's view. And, you know, obviously that's the reason why they've asked me to come to the broadcast booth. And, you know, that's what I've always learned. Now, I will also tell you this, I'll be critical of the play, not of the player. So, you know, that's, that's just my MO and it's the way I've always been. I'm a, a glass is half full guy. So don't look for me if the team is not doing well to start, you know, tugging on that side because I am the eternal optimist. I love it. I love it. I'm myself and I'm optimist too. You know, it's almost like why even like dwindle on the bad, you know, especially in baseball, it's a long season, 162 games. You can't just dog your team for some period if they go on like a four game skid, five game skid, you know, you always got to be optimistic. And with the Reds, we have a great team this year. Again, you know, future Hall of Famer, somebody's going to be joining you in the Hall of Fame, Joey Votto. He's back. Two-headed monster of Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray back. we got some big bats coming back as well. Moose, Gino, Castellanos. You know, Barry, how are you feeling about this year? Well, I like the team. Um, and it is all about the pitching. You know, the, the interesting thing about the team last year that was able to get to the to the postseason for the first time in a while is the pitching staff. The pitching staff really took over and, uh, and led the team. And, you know, we struggled to score runs, had a real nice run uh, the last uh, 15, 20 games of the season, the shortened season uh, this past season. Um, uh, and the offense really kicked in. And it was, it was really good to see that because you could see how good the team could be and will be when both the pitching staff and, and the hitting kind of sync up together. And that's really what it is. It's not necessarily the best team that wins. It's the team that's playing the best at the right time. You know, when we won the World Series in 1990, were we better than the Oakland A's? And I know you weren't born, so, you know, you can shake your head, but you understand, you've heard the stories. Uh, were we better than the Oakland A's? Well, I, I don't think so on, on paper but we were on the field at that particular time. Now, had we played them a week or two earlier or later, would we have had the same kind of success sweeping them? Mm, I don't know, probably not, but we were just hot at the time. Our pitching was on point and our hitting was on point. We were just executing. And that's what I saw from the Reds uh, this past season. You know, they obviously had Trevor Bauer uh, last year. And, and I mentioned uh, about how, we had the nasty boys at the back end of our bullpen. Well, you mentioned the two-headed monster. They had the three-headed monster with Trevor Bauer at the beginning at the, the, and the starting staff. So uh, it was interesting to see how, how that team got behind those pitchers in those last 15 or 20 games. Like I said, the offense really picked up, and it was really good to see. Unfortunately, when they went to Atlanta, they faced some really good pitching and, um, you know, and couldn't score any runs. But – uh, it was interesting. It was nice to see. So I'm excited about the team. I think there was a lot of success this past season. 
spring training is a tough barometer because, you know, spring training is about guys getting ready for the season. They, of course, have lost Trevor Bowers. Sonny Gray has had a, a back issue. Castillo got over late. Um, you know, there are some really good things that are happening. Amir Garrett has been amazing, lights out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the back end of the bullpen if he's going to be given that closer role. But I would love to see his antics. I, I, I kind of fasten that to Araldis Chapman. When Araldis Chapman was in Cincinnati and at the back end of the bullpen, people would come late just to see what he did, what he did with his 103 to 105 mile an hour fastball. Well, you won't see 103 to 105, but you will see fiery, competitive, uh, uh, excitable, slider, slider, slider from this big, tall lefty Amir Garrett. I, I hope he gets an opportunity to go out there and do what I know he can do and what he has the attitude uh, and aptitude to do. So I think there's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen uh, this year, 162 game season. Hopefully that's what we'll get in. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the guys kind of rally it's peaks and valleys, you know, and I think it's going to be a little bit different this year. I know uh, David Bell has some different weapons. He has a little more speed and camp this year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he manages relative to the talent that he brings um, to Cincinnati with them, who makes, who makes the ball club. But you mentioned Joey, you mentioned Henny, if Henny plays shortstop or if he plays third base or not, you know, and, and that's really kind of a mood issue at this point because many times with the shift, the third baseman is playing shortstop. So I know he can do it. It's just a matter of positioning. And, you know, wear and tear. Playing third base is different than playing shortstop. You have much more ground to cover. Uh, you have to be much more reactive, much more proactive, I guess, than, than playing third base. And, you know, just be involved in pretty much everything in the middle of the infield. So, uh, you know, I think there's some great things that are going to happen. There's some new guys uh, on the team, and we don't know who is going to be those new guys. But you know, those guys that you, you mentioned, those are the pillars of the team. I hopefully Senzel will have a healthy season this year. Um, he, he's, a, he's an amazing player, amazing athlete. So there's a lot. I'm looking forward to a lot. You asked me a simple question. I've been going on for five minutes or so. I'm looking forward to a lot this year for sure. Yeah, same, same. So, Barry, you mentioned your 90, your 90 World Series team. Now, talking about 162 games, we all go through ups and downs. What's one thing the Reds can do to weather the storm and get back to the playoffs this year? Well, the one thing that never goes into, the, into a slump is speed. And that was, that was kind of one of the things that we talked about in the 90 team. Now, we had a lot of team speed. We had Sabo, we had myself. Eric the Red, the monster in center field. We had Billy Hatcher. We had Billy Dorn. We had Mariano Duncan. Uh, we had Glenn Braggs, Herm Winningham. Paul O'Neill couldn't run. Um, hell, Joe Oliver behind the dish was out there talking about he could steal 20. But he obviously he could. <laughs> <laughs> but we had, we had speed, 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 speed everywhere. Not necessarily blazing speed, but speed that could put pressure on the defense. And so I think um, what Lou Pinella did a nice job of was letting us be free and utilize our speed and put pressure on the defense. You ask, what can we do? Well, we can score runs. What can this team this year do? 
score runs, play good defense, make good decisions, uh, anticipate well. Um, I think all the elements are there. It's just a matter of execution. It's interesting. I have spoken with uh, Nick Crawl, the GM of the team, and kind of talked to him about some of his philosophies. And it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, for me, I'm looking forward to how the team responds to how things ended for them this past season. Get runners on base in Atlanta and then not being able to score runs. I, I think there were 20, 22 or 23 innings where we didn't score any runs, something like that, right? So it's going to be interesting for me, especially for me, because I spent most of my career advancing the runner, putting the ball on the ground, hitting to the others to the um, second base side of the bag to, a, to of the field to advance the runner from second to third base, put a bunt down, kind of the small things, you know, those, those intangible, not really intangible, but tangible things. Really the way, what we call most productive outs. It's gonna be interesting to see how the team makes outs this year. And what does that mean? It means, if I strike out, is it a three-pitch strikeout or is it a six, seven, eight-pitch strikeout, right? Productive outs are so important. You mentioned it's not, a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long 162-game season. And if you wear down people, if you grind out at bats, albeit the end result is an out, a strikeout, a ground out, a fly out, when you fail, if you fail in favor of the team, that's a Bo Schembechler thing, by the way. You can smile on that, right? If you fail in favor of the team, then the team is going to be better positioned. And, and I'm, looking forward, I'm looking forward to seeing how we, as an organization, make outs this year, if they're productive outs or if they're non-productive outs. That's a good point. In a different perspective, you know, and that's what I'm saying. And that, that, that is, I think that is the value of having someone who has played the game uh, in the broadcast booth, because that is that is interesting. I mean, I see you shaking your head and you've played baseball your entire life, but this is a perspective um, that I think will give people a deeper insight into watching the game, you know, not just watching, oh man, I made an out, but was it a quality out? Oh, okay, he hit the ball hard. Yeah, but there was a runner on second base and he hit the ball hard to third base and the runner didn't advance. So, you know, so it's things, it's simple things like that. I believe that the team can do and any successful team does do in order to get to the postseason. Hmm. Damn, that's a good point. Taking me back to my rec days of baseball, just thinking about absolutely, all this stuff. absolutely. <laughs> and that's what it is, you know, and that, I, I mean, and that's why I love that's why I love being in the game. That's why I love the player development side of the game. You know, when I came back to the Reds six years ago, I came back in a, a position in player development. And, uh, you know, obviously with COVID this past season, they asked me to do something a little bit different, but that's really truly, it's the essence of who I am. That's how I approached the game. That's how I saw the game as a player. I think that's why, that's the reason I was the player that I was. And that is the, the uh, wisdom that I can impart on the people that I get an opportunity to, to, to touch. And those are the real small things that they're not sensational, that make a huge difference. 
And, you know, you just think about it. You just think about, you know, moving a simple runner over. Now, instead of a, the hitter behind you needing to get a base hit, now all he has to do is touch the ball if the infield is back, and now you scored a run. And that's one run that you would have not scored if a guy hit an absolute screamer uh, to the pull side of the, of, the, of the field and didn't advance the runner, but hit the ball really hard. And, and that's, that's not how you played well. That's not... That's not how you win the game. You can play it like that, but you won't win mm. playing the game that way. Any successful team has a team first attitude and a me first, get out of here. It's all about the team. Mm. I love that. And Bear, I can kind of attest to that, that mindset of we versus me. With my high school team, we had so many struggles in our year and we ended up five and five going into the state championship tournament and we were just battered and bruised. I tore my ACL. My friend who is at Clemson right now playing, he tore his ACL, our quarterback, Sean Clifford. He was dealing with injuries throughout the whole season, but so we won every single game in the playoffs in overtime. And then the state championship game, we won in double overtime. And so I can really attest to that. And like, it really just speaks to me about adversity. And, you know, it either makes you or breaks you. Barry, I'm just curious, how close were you guys in 1990 as a team? Like, as a unit, how close were you guys? Uh, you know, the question is always in a clubhouse, does winning um, breed camaraderie or does camaraderie breed winning? Like, is it the, is it the horse that leads the cart or is it the cart that leads the horse? And, and really, which one is the horse and which one is the cart? Well, you know, everybody obviously wants to win. Um, and we were able to do that from uh, day one. But in spring training, it's really where the attitude was set. I remember in 90, Lou Pinella came over from, uh, uh, from the Yankees. And Normally, when a, when a manager takes over a team, he reaches out to the players and tries to find out the personalities of the team, you know, maybe who, who is a person that needs a little more encouragement, you know, who, who, who just to find out the, you know, the traits and the characteristics of the players. And maybe Lou did that on his own, but he certainly didn't reach out to me. Uh, at that time, nor Eric Davis at that time. And we were, we were kind of the leaders on the team. Um, so when we got to spring training, actually before we get to spring training, everyone is like excited about the season because we had finished in second place uh, for the previous three or four years. Actually the year before we finished in fifth place we had a really, really bad, bad year in 89, but Pete Rose was there and that was the year that Pete Rose got in trouble and we had a lot of off the field stuff that we were dealing with. So that was kind of a wash. So we were really second, a second place team. And I remember our owner, Marge Schott, saying she was tired of being a bridesmaid and it was time for her to be a bride. And, and she made a comment like that and brought Lou Pinella in. And one of the early um, uh, meetings that we had in spring training, Lou Pinella set us down and said, I don't accept losing. Uh, 
and we're not going to lose. And we went out on the field and the first mental mistake that was made in our team fundamentals, he absolutely lost his mind spitting all over himself, hair flying everywhere, slamming stuff. And we, everyone thought, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Why is he, why is he overreacting? It was a simple, it was a simple mental mistake. It wasn't a physical mistake. It was a mental mistake, which we made so many of before that day. And uh, many years later, when I talked to Lou about that incident you know he starts smiling and said it was a teaching moment uh, now i didn't know that at the time obviously but what he was saying is i am setting the tone for how we will deal with mental mistakes which has been plaguing our team for so many years and i am not going to accept them did we make them sure but we made far fewer of them right and because we made so many less mental mistakes, we made less physical mistakes. So winning is kind of a culture. It's, it's a mindset. You know, you want to see your team win. It's, it's, not, it's not easy to win. You have to finish games. You know, I talk to people all the time about any pitcher can go out there. The, 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 the common thought is that any pitcher can go out there and close a ball game. It's three outs. Three outs at the, in the ninth inning is just like three outs in the fourth, fifth, sixth. Or, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's a mindset. And so it's a winning culture. It's a dominating culture. That's why I think Amir Garrett would be so good in a closer role just because of his mindset and his approach, his mental approach to the game. And that's just an example of what I'm saying. So my, 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 my hope is what happens with this team is that culture of winning, that, that mindset of making productive outs, uh, mental, uh, let's mitigate and really remove the mental mistakes uh, from it, from the game. That's what, that's what we had in spring training when Lou Pinella came. And that kind of brought us together. So I wanna say that we had camaraderie in the clubhouse because our leader really kind of forced us to get together and, and, and talk about how we were going to stay out of the doghouse, how we, how we weren't, how we were going to not have this crazy man lose his mind and possibly start just losing it on everybody. I know I said, after I saw him go off, I said, well, sh I'm not making no mental mistakes. And if I'm saying it, and then my teammates saying it, you know, you don't want to go out there and play scared, but you certainly go out there playing with it, like a conscious, okay, what is the proper play to make? How can I anticipate to be in position? And that's what Lou Pinella provided for us based on what he brought, that fiery attitude and that not accepting the, the mental mistakes that we've seen in the game. So we had great camaraderie. And I think it was simply because we were forced to have it because we wanted to make sure collectively as a unit that we didn't disappoint, you know, our leader. And that was Lou and Lou was firing. Barry, I'm not sure what you think about this, but I, I remember when I was down in the dugout a couple of years back and I would just people watch. 
I saw how much of a leader Joey Votto was. I saw how much of a leader a young Nick Senzel was. I mean, there would be times where he would be screaming at guys because he wasn't putting up with any BS. You know, maybe somebody wouldn't go out and shake fans' hands, shake the season ticket holders' hands. And he would get on him about that. And that was really just a testament to me of the kind of guys that we have here with the Cincinnati Reds. And when I was listening to you talk about the culture that you guys had, I happened to just think about similarities with this team and the guys that are here right now. And I'm curious, Barry, what do you think about this team? Do you think that the talent is around us? Of course, but do you think that the leadership is here and can you find any similarities from when you guys played versus this team now? You know, it's tough. Uh, I, you know, I'm an outsider, so I'm not in the clubhouse with those guys. I don't see the interactions every single day. From the outside, I would say yes. You mentioned two guys that are awesome. You know, um, there's some great personalities in the clubhouse. But, you know, it's tough to really comment on those personalities because when I see them, everybody is fun and having a good time or sitting around in a very relaxed atmosphere you know you really see the uh the marks of a, a player when his back is against the wall when he's struggling how he deals with adversity everyone's happy go lucky when they're doing well when they're three for three and you know three bullets and doing well but what happens when you're over three and really struggling and you're in the middle of a struggle so it's tough for me to say that that's really when you see the the leadership or the characteristics of a player. So I, I just can't comment on that. I mean, on the surface, we've got some great personalities, um, but it's tough It's tough for me to comment on that just because I don't see them in that kind of competitive uh, back against the wall environment. Hmm. Yeah, well, man, I was out, Barry, I was very lucky. I was working with Reds Authentics and Jim Myers. And part of that job was I got to be down in the dugout and Lord, you would, the things that you would see just for everybody out there who's listening, who doesn't get that opportunity to see up close and personal, the things that these guys do, they really are professionals in every sense of the word with training, with how they carry themselves on the field and outside the stadium, a hundred percent professionals. And, you know, I'm just going to keep going back to this character and culture that the Reds have. Honestly, I think that these guys can go really far. And I think that the 60 game season hurt them last year because, you know, it's just, it's not the same with 162 games. Barry, correct me if I'm wrong, but with 162 games, you can really find out who you are as a team. And I just don't know how much the Reds were able to find out about themselves in 60 games in a COVID season when there's no fans, unlike any season that we've ever seen before in major league sports. And I don't know, Barry, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree. You know, I have a son who's playing basketball right now and uh, he talks about going into an empty gym and, and playing against, you know, against the competition as opposed to going into a full gym with all the hype and energy and fans really kind of incentivizing you and, and giving you all kind of energy. I would assume, assume the same thing would happen or happens in baseball. I remember this, I, you know, fortunately for me, I didn't have to play a, a truncated season like that. Now in 1990, we 
we did have uh i think we missed a week or two of the game of the of the season um it was delayed so i don't think we had a full season but certainly not a 60 game season like that and i think you're right about the fact on two two fronts the fact that there aren't fans there you know the fans play a crucial part uh in uh in a player's um preparation uh, not necessarily in preparation but in, in in a player's mind at least in my mind let me just say it for me i wanted to represent it present the team and just to have uh the motivation from the fans saying yes you are representing well or in many cases you need to do better you know that was motivation that was it was motivating uh, to have the fans there i remember uh once again the second front being a truncated 60 game season as opposed to 162 games you know a 60 game season is about winning 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 and not really knowing how to win, but just whatever needed to be done that particular day, you just do it, mm -hmm. right? And in a 162 game season, it is, okay, we need to know who we are so we can consistently beat that drum and continue down the road to do what we do. And if we do what we need to do every single day, then we're going to be successful because that's what we do. That you know what we're going to do, you know how we're going to beat you, and we're going to do it consistently. And we're saying that you're not going to be able to defend what we're we're going to do. I remember playing with Deion Sanders, and Deion, uh, you know, left-handed hitter could absolutely fly, and the third baseman was playing almost, almost. 10 steps away from Dion when Dion was going to bunt. And I said, Prime, I said, dude, he is right on top of you. And he said, it doesn't make a difference where he is. I know he knows what I'm going to do, but if I do it the way that I want to, there is no way he can stop me. And I was like, oh, nice. So you talk about conviction and commitment. That's what happens in 162 game season. You're committed to the way that you play the game, as opposed to in a 60 game season, you go out there and you just do whatever you have to do in order to win. And that may or may not be your strength or your weakness, but you do have a specific amount of time. You got to get the job done. So, so I don't know if I answered your question or not, but the fans, the fans were huge as far as bringing, bringing the energy uh, and motivating players, as you mentioned, we're all pros so we go out there and yes we're motivated and do and do what we have to do but when you have 40 some odd thousand 50,000 60,000 screaming fans out there and you can't even hear yourself uh, uh, um, talk to your teammate there is a whole different level of energy that you feel as a player I remember going out during the playoffs in the World Series, like, oh my goodness, I, this is this is amazing. You know, my hope is that every baseball player gets an opportunity to experience that, and that's that's all about postseason. Of course, opening day is there's an opening opening day kind of uh, 
we're so excited to be here and there's this area of expectation, but that, and that exists every single season, you know, spring, uh, you know, spring training comes and then opening day and everybody's excited. And then, okay, the team either does well or doesn't do well. And then the attendance drops to nothing and blah, blah, blah. And then we're playing the season and then there's the dog days. And then you get to September and you got the playoff, uh, you got the playoff push, people start coming back out and, the, you know, the weather starts getting colder, but your team is getting hotter and you're playing better. And then comes the playoffs and it's just an absolute buzz around the city, you know, with the media attention, there's people, there's people in town, there's all this kind of stuff. The fan, that's, that's all from the fans. That's all from the fans. And you, as a, as a baseball player, I, as a baseball player, picked up on that. And that made me, although bruised and, 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 and hurt or whatever it was from a grueling 162-game season, that gave me that extra energy and motivation to just push through and continue and be even more laser-focused on what it was. Because, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, there's a certain amount of, uh, times you can hit the ground without being affected mm-hmm. you know there's a certain amount of swings you can take before your 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 bat speed starts to slow down uh, you know but that and you feel that you feel that in a 162 game season but when it comes to that 163rd game of the season and the fans are there and uh, it gives you a little more energy gives you a little more motivation to be able to go out there and not just physically do it, but emotionally and, and mentally be more laser focused. The fans are huge in that. With COVID, obviously no fans, no motivation from that standpoint. So I have to give the players props for going out and doing what they were able to do with no fans out there and having all of the protocols that were in place um, and just totally disrupt uh, the natural progression of the season. Um, we're trending back towards normalcy, but still there's going to be a limited capacity at the ballpark. Um, and there still is COVID protocol in place. And uh, so hopefully uh, hopefully towards the end of the season, it'll get back to, to the natural flow, the ebb and flow of, of, of baseball. And, but I give the players a lot of credit for being able to do what they have been able to do in this, these times. Yeah, I agree 100%, 100%. And hopefully there's some day in the future where we can just come to Great American Ballpark fully, full capacity for a playoff game. And a kid like me and a kid who has never, ever seen a world championship, hopefully we can see that. You guys were the last people to win in 1990. Barry, this is, it's been a rough childhood for me, man. The Bengals, (laughs) the Reds. We got the Cyclones, though. Cyclones can win a game. That Cyclones can win now. the EHL. Hold on now. I got to go back to college, though. You're sitting up there right now. Ohio State won a national championship, did they not? They did. They did. Okay. But, Barry, okay. I'm from Ohio, but Cincinnati is my home. Yes. I need somebody from here, from the 5-1-3 to win one. I need yeah. it. It's going to be good for yeah. my soul. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and – you know, the, the game, once again, it's, it's, it's a difficult game to win. Um, 
it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I don't know. I do know uh, it's going to be exciting for me to watch how the team progresses. Um, certainly there's plenty of talent, but so many things have to go right in order to win. You know, this spring training, although I'm not there, I've been able to watch and, uh, you know, we, there's been so many injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, Joey was out with COVID. Uh, there was injuries here, injuries there. You know, Kyle Farmer, who's going to be the shortstop? Uh, is Henny going to be the shortstop or, you know, are they going to have another guy? There's some guys that are having great, season, great years in spring training. But as I said, it's a tough barometer. So, so many things have to go right for the team in order for the team to win. But you're absolutely right. There would be nothing nothing better than to watch this team win a world championship. I have to share this with you. Eric Davis, my mentor, my good friend, so much respect for this dude. You know, when I first got called up to Cincinnati, I was 22 years old and, you know, Eric, I call him Boogie. Eric comes up to me and says, hey, what do you do in the off season? And I go, just, you know, just chill or whatever. And he's like, okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to come out to LA hang out Ooh, with me LA. and I'm like yeah so I'm 22 going out to LA in the all season thinking about bro, Lakers in town we're gonna go to the lake show the forum hang out do this that and the other I get there I think uh, eight o'clock at night I stay at his house next morning 6 a.m he has me out running up and down hills in Woodland Hills and I'm like, well, I, I didn't expect that. And he said to me, he's like, you know, man, now that you made it to the big leagues, the, the hard work starts. It's tough. It's tough to get to the big leagues, but it's even tougher to stay in the big leagues. So you talk about, and, and I, I, I mentioned that because Eric was on our 1990 team. Um, and Eric was not able to celebrate because he tore his kidney or punctured his kidney in that fourth game of the World Series, which we eventually won. And then he was unable to travel back with us because he was in the hospital. And we had our celebration on Fountain Square and he wasn't there. And he was the unquestioned leader of the team. Unquestioned. I mean, Jose Rijo was amazing. The Nasty Boys, amazing. We had great players all over the place but he was the leader of the team, right? And he was unable to celebrate. So for me, what I want is I wanna be able to celebrate with Eric Davis, who was also an employee of the Cincinnati Reds on Fountain Square with my man Boogie celebrating the world championship. Selfishly, that's something that I would love because I, I didn't, I didn't get the opportunity to watch him be able to uh, celebrate, you know, with the team, which he was the leader of. And, uh, you know, so that's something that, that I, that's one of the, that was one of my motivating reasons for wanting to have the Reds win a world championship so I can see Boogie have an opportunity to celebrate. Now we won't be players, but still it'll be sweet all the same. Yeah. And he deserves it. He deserves it. Absolutely. But that's a, that's a crazy story, Barry at 22 years old. I'm 22 right now. Mm -hmm. And I hear LA 
kind of like you, I'm thinking Lakers, LeBron, girls are out there. It's Cali, weather, everything. But yeah. man, how much did that grow you up inside when he kind of just showed you the ropes? Well, you know, I give a lot of credit to all my teammates. Um, you know, I grew up, Pete Rose was my manager. Buddy Bell was a third baseman. Ronnie Oster was a second baseman, Cincinnati guy. Uh, Eric was a center fielder. So I, I grew up with some great, great guys, some strong Cincinnati uh, people who understood what it meant uh, to play for and represent the team. I remember Pete Rose talking to me about the responsibilities of, uh, you know, representing the Reds and playing hard. Um, I remember Buddy Bell, we were out in L.A., taking ground balls and Buddy Bell always told me to take the time to smell the grass. So he physically made me get on the ground and put my nose to the grass <laughs> to show me where I was relative to the game. You know, I, I, we were out there, I'm on the ground, all fours on the ground, smelling the grass. And then he tells me to turn over and look up into the sky. I see an airplane 30,000, however many feet in the air. And, and I go, man, I remember looking down from an airplane thinking how small he said, that's right. That's how small you are. So always keep that perspective, you know, and Ronnie Oster was, you know, our second baseman and I give, Oh, so much credit. Cause he helped me. He helped me through everything. Uh, he's just a blue collar guy, you know, represent Cincinnati, just put in the work, put in the work, put in the work. I got that from him. And then of course, uh, David Concepcion was a shortstop, and that was a guy that I grew up idolizing. And then I had a chance to play with him, uh, not take his job, but when he was ready to give his job up, I was in line, and he helped me with the bounce throw and, and positioning and just everything. So I was just so surrounded by by great, great people, and you know, and I give them all, all the credit, but Eric, you know, Eric reached out to me. He was still a young player himself, but he was so, uh, so uh, mature and, you know, so about the business, although he had style, he, he had swag back in the day and they didn't call it swag back then. It was, you know, style or piquete or whatever it was. I, I don't know exactly what it was that, that they called it, but uh, he, you know, represented LA, he, 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 but he was all about business, you know, and that was just the environment that, uh, I mentioned earlier, a winning culture. That's what it was. And I think that's why we won. And, um, I have to give credit to all those guys because all those guys brought different elements, but the commonality was keep your head where it needs to be concentrate and focus give me a quality whatever it is and you know when it's time to do your business do your business mm. and be about it don't just talk about it be about it mm. so you know just something i you know i was just so i i personally was just so blessed to come into the game at the time uh that i did and be surrounded by such great great men that were so influential uh, in my life and uh, it helped me kind of shape my perspective. And, uh, and they, they all, they helped me. It, it's, it was amazing. You know, and back in that time, we didn't have social media. 
Uh, they didn't have camera phones and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, together bonding um, uh, and, you know, and, and doing things that, you know, we, that, that were able to stay in our little circle. And I think that kind of brought us together and kept us together. And any leak of that was obviously from someone's mouth as opposed to someone taking a photo or camera, you know, or, or taping it or whatever it was right. or recording it or whatever it was. So different, different day, different time now, different challenges now as, as players, but uh, all the same, it's still about quality and putting in work and being about the business. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are, I mean, shit, you guys are my heroes. I mean, whole bunch of quality guys, but Barry, one thing I really admire about you is that, you are a fantastic ball player, yes, but you're also a humanitarian. You also love giving back, and you started a program called Project Unity, and you said you wanted to heal and unite the world. I love yeah. that, Barry. Can you please share that, what you guys do, and how you guys are doing things right now? Well, we, um, we changed the Project Unity name specifically because there is an existing organization in Texas that is doing very similar or similar humanitarian efforts. Uh, and they want, they wanted to keep the name to keep their uniqueness in project unity. So it's called the heal and unite initiative, mm -hmm. which we've changed to the idea is the idea was, and COVID obviously has, has slowed things down. The idea is to, partner with uh, organizations, existing youth organizations to heal and unite, to bring positive messaging through the sport of baseball. Um, I partnered with uh, Phoenix Bats, uh, Joel Arm Brister, who, Brister, who is a, uh, a Ohio guy, Phoenix Bats is an Ohio company, uh, close to Columbus, I believe, um, that, uh, that put some positive messaging um, on bats, um, the plan is to work with Major League Baseball and work through their youth initiative, diversity, e equality, and inclusion programs, their youth programs, their uh, underserved community programs, uh, their philanthropic programs to get positive messaging uh, through minorities or underserved communities just to kind of organically build through baseball the message of heal and unite the message of equality any positive messaging i also partnered with wilson sporting goods and wilson is designing a power and unity line of products uh, in their in their line of sports products so you have D. Gordon, um, uh, Tim Anderson, uh, and they're looking at a couple of different uh, major league players who will actually have a glove that in the palm of the glove, there will be this fist right here. And on the forearm, it says power and unity. Hmm. Uh, so look for that. They're going to sell that. And some of the proceeds will be, will go to youth organizations with that are that we partner with uh, that will promote uh, positive messaging. So 
the idea also on the glove, which is customizable, and this is one thing that Wilson has, uh, you know, has done a fantastic job with. On the outside of the glove, there will be an opportunity to put positive messages on two of the ring, two of the fingers on the backside of the glove. So, customization, customization is huge. Everyone, I, I mentioned swag with Eric Davis, but everyone has their swag, and they like to make sure their shoes and everything looks nice, and it's all about the look. So one of the things that we did is we worked together to design an or to provide an opportunity for players to put some kind of positive messaging on their glove, not just for them to see. What they will see is the power and unity on the palm, and what everybody else will see will be the the positive messaging on the backside of the glove. So look for that this year. Uh, in addition to that, what I did with um, Mike Mustakis was one guy that was that used it this past season in the playoffs on the handle of the bat on the bottom of the bat. We designed with this healing unite initiative two hands kind of clasped together and it says healing unite and uh, Mike Mustakis, as I said, used that uh, in the postseason. Now we were doing this during during the COVID uh, uh, shortened season this past year, we were trying to come up with positive ways how to get uh, positive messaging out there. But we did get endorsements from, as far as the power in unity, the project unity, if you will, the Healing Unite uh, initiative. We got endorsements from the Hall of Fame. Uh, we got endorsements from Major League Baseball, uh, from the Players Association, from the Players Alliance. Um, so there's a lot of positivity that is happening in the game. Um, and there are, uh, opportunities that exist in the game today. So I think it's all of just, it's all about, you know, being progressive and positive and trying to make, uh, you know, a positive difference in, in someone's life. And, and that's what I've been all about. And, um, that's what the Healing Unite initiative is about. Go to healingunite.com. Uh, we still have the website up. However, we haven't done much with it at all because of the off season and because of COVID still. But the idea is to work with those two anchor sponsors, Phoenix Bat and Wilson Sporting Goods to provide positive messaging on baseball bats and baseball gloves and equipment. That is so cool. That is yeah. so cool, Barry. I cannot wait to see the gloves too. I know everybody's got their own drip. We call it drip nowadays. It's not it's not swag anymore. It's drip. Okay. So I'm I can't wait to see what Tim Anderson's drip's gonna be. You said um Tim Anderson, who else? D Gordon. D Gordon. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's gonna be tough. Yeah. I can't wait to see yeah. that. Yeah. Very, I love that, man. I love that you're doing good and giving back. And I'm curious. The Reds do a big focus on giving back. And quick shout out to the Castellinis, Karen Forgus, Charlie Frank, all, they all do a stellar job at giving back to the community. Barry, is this something that you could see that the Reds youth organization implementing in their daily organization goals and stuff? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, you don't want any, any, everything has to happen organically. I don't want to push my initiative onto, you know, if they ask me about my initiative and what I'm doing and they want it to be part of what, if they want to be part of it, that that's good. But I, it's tough for me being an employee 
to say, hey, I've got this initiative, will you support this initiative? You know, I wanna do positive things. One of the reasons I'm coming back to Cincinnati and one of the things that Phil Castellini personally asked me to do is help him on the diversity, equality and inclusion side of the business. And uh, so I look, I look to be, uh, or look forward to being part of, uh, of the communities in Cincinnati and helping with all those people that you mentioned, you know, the Urban Youth Academy. And uh, I, you know, just, I, I just think there's some, a lot of positive things that can happen. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I haven't been back to Cincinnati in this kind of position. I mean, last time I was there was as a player. So, you know, I'll be back in Cincinnati uh, doing the home games. And, you know, my hope is that I'll be able to integrate back into the communities and be able to serve uh, the communities and, and kind of build a, build a bond, uh, you know, uh, uh, with the Reds in the communities. And, you know, I know it's important to Bob Castellini. I know it's important to Phil Castellini. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it really manifests itself. And of course, you got to get past this COVID first right. before any real face-to-face -face integration. But, uh, but certainly we're trying to uh, trying to anticipate and, and, and build the groundswell and you know, build some infrastructure and some relationships uh, so that when it does open up that we can just seamlessly kind of make a really positive impact. Mm. I can't wait to see it. I know yep. it's going to be something great with all the, with you, as I mentioned, the Castellini's Forgus and Charlie Frank, I cannot wait to see what all the heads come together and really Absolutely. benefit our community. Cause as you're saying, there's a lot of people who are struggling right now with COVID, with mental health, um, and just overall, just tough times. So I can't wait to see what you guys do with the community. And sure. if there's anything I can do, I love giving back. I love volunteering. I was down at the Reds Youth Organization a couple years back. I was down with the Players Alliance at their event, got this cool little hat. Yeah. And gave over 300 meals to people in the Cincinnati community. So if there's anything that I can do, Barry, please do not hesitate to reach out. You got it. You got it. Yes, sir. Well, before I let you go, Barry, I gotta, I'm having this burning question on my mind and I'll give you my answer after yours, but I want to hear you played shortstop. There's been a multitude of great shortstops overall in the game, but I want to hear your top three for shortstops. It doesn't have to be in any order, but I want to hear your three best shortstops of all time. Oh boy. Hmm. Come on, Michigan, man. Thought you guys were smart. You're supposed to have the answer on the top of your head, man. Come on. No, man, you know, because that, that, that's competition. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, just, it's, it's just, it, it depends on what the barometer is. You know, there are some great defensive players, Ozzy, Omar Vizquel, amazing. I'm going to tell you what, there's a guy named Ray Ordonez, uh, uh, who played for the Mets, exactly, played for the Mets. He was absolutely amazed. It was, I was amazed to watch this guy. There's a guy playing right now, now Jose Iglesias. He's with, yes, he is with uh, uh, Anaheim right now. But he was in Cincinnati. He went to Baltimore and Anaheim. Defensively, these guys are absolutely amazing barry did you see Amaz the play he made this week 
<laughs> was it the one he dove up the middle or was it the one that he was charging and he caught it and flipped it to first base? That this one. dude, yes, I'm telling you, this guy is absolutely amazing. So, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to say, you know, who is the top three because it's still, they're still developing. Francisco Lindor, mm. who I get a chance to work with every off season. You talk about the whole, you talk about drip number one. Oh, he's, he crispy. <laughs> he's crispy. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, and he's, now he's playing with the Mets. Um, and uh, just his, just his flow is, uh, he's, a, he's amazing. I mean, and I get a chance to work with this dude and watch him do his thing. And it's like, oh my gosh. So, you know, top three, it's, it's tough, bro. I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't, you know, Jeter won. A-Rod was a beast, you know what I'm saying? But Ozzy, I give, give love to Ozzy. David Concepcion, Cal Ripken, the Iron Man. Oof. You know what I'm saying? So it's just so many. It, 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 I don't have a top three. I am like. All right, hold up, know, hold up. What would a better question be? Who are the three most influential shortstops that you tried to model your game after? Is that well, an easier the, question? Well, the the two guys that the two guys two? that I modeled my my game after was Davy Concepcion and Robin Yount. Who's that? Robin, Robin who? Robin, Robin Yount. He's a Hall of Famer. He used to be a shortstop with Milwaukee. And then he eventually moved to the outfield, but he was a long, kind of a tall, kind of more erect player who had thump and could go get it and was just a bad boy. And he had, you call it drip. What do you call it when you got all the hair flowing? That That's flow? the lettuce, the lettuce back there. The, yeah, he had the lettuce going on. Matter of fact, he still has the lettuce, but those were the two guys that I fashioned my game after because I kind of played well because I watched Davey and I wanted to be like Davey, right? But Robin Young, I, I, I saw him play and I was like, wow. You know, he's kind of more erect, kind of like how I played. And he had some thump. And I was like, okay, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can hit the ball like that, you know? So, you know, that, that but see, when I dropped the Robin Young on you, you were like, who, who who's that? Well, he's a Hall of Famer, number one, but he was just an amazing, amazing, amazing guy. But once again, it's because that was kind of how I saw myself as a player. You know, there's something to be said, and this is so important, I think, for our community. And why what's happening in this world is so influential now and impactful is because if you can see it, you can be it. Like in our communities, you you know, you can tell me one thing, but you got to consistently be there. And this is one of the things that I've shared with the Reds and I'm looking forward to interacting back into the community. It's not just a Band-Aid. It's not just a show up for an event. It's part, being part of the community. And I think, you know, what's happening with, you know, with, with minorities and leadership now, what's happening with opportunities and organizations and, and people of color being promoted and given opportunities to be leaders in different industry, you know, in world, in politics and in, 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 in different things. People now are seeing that they're 
they're seeing it, so they're believing it. And that's kind of how I was. It's like I associated my game, I fashioned my game, and it was a better question that you asked, to guys that I saw that kind of looked like me. Now, not necessarily in skin color and skin tone, but in, in, in style of play or in skin tone as well. So, you know, so for me, it, it, that, that's so important what's happening right now. My hope is that that's something that I can bring uh, to the organization and something that we really can build upon and heal and unite using that as a platform in Cincinnati. I love it. I love yep. it. Well, Barry, before last question, final question. Hold on now. Who are your top three? You oh, me you got me. You got <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So first, first, I'm going to say, damn, this, this is a lot harder than I expected. Exactly. And I'm an Ohio, I'm a smart Ohio State man. Smarter than this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking Jeter, you, and hmm, you know what? I might need Google for this, for this third one. I might need it. So, you know, the question is, and you don't have to answer that. The question is like, what, what is it about? You know, what is it about a player that makes him your, your favorite? Why, what makes people your favorite? Is it their style of play? Is it their drip? Is it their, you know, their influence in the game? Is it them winning? You know, what is, it, what is it, Jeter? Listen, Jeter is a great player, a great talent, a great man. And he won and he played on great teams. So, you know, there's no, he's a hall of famer. There's no argument on any of it, but what makes, what makes, you know, you asked me mine, it was relative to who, you know, who, who, what I was as a player and what I kind of felt was important. You know, this is, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it uh, we, we all know the question with that. We all know who, we all know who that is. Is it LeBron? Is it MJ? Is it, what about Wilt Chamberlain? I mean, what about Bill Russell? I mean, these guys got championship after championship after championship. What about Kobe Bryant? You know, it's like, who, who is, who is the best? And is there a one single best? Because I can guarantee you there will be a deficit and whoever that best one is, there'll be something that somebody does better. Some category, be it a better defender, a better passer, a better communicator, a better post player, a better perimeter defender, a better this, that, and the other, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, true. I have this issue with, with who is the best? Well, the best to you is, okay, but does that mean he's the best? Because he's not the best to me. And, you know, and then you have this argument like, well, yeah, I, you know, I, one of the things that I thought always was, was interesting was whenever we would get on the debate table with someone who would not, who had not played the game and someone would debate with a current player or a, a past player on certain things relative to the game. 
baseball with me. Someone who doesn't, who didn't play the game at the level that I play is going to debate baseball with me. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, what are we, what are we going to talk about? Okay. Well, but the thing is, the thing that you can't do is say, but you didn't play. Well, yeah, but that person did not play. So that person has a different perspective because had that person played, he would have a different perspective or she would have a different perspective. And it's okay that you have different, uh, um, different uh, points of view, but that's what, that, that's, that's what America is all about. Is it not? That's it true. is, we're all different. It's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay that we're different. We can agree to disagree and that's okay. I don't understand and I never understood. And this is one of the things in sports and in, 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 in the coverage of sports that I go, I, I bang my head like, why does it have to be the, the best? Why, why is it? Because I guarantee you, someone can poke, poke holes into whatever it is that you say, because there's gonna be someone that's better at something it might be whatever, but you know, I, I just, it, it just, so your top three. Okay, great. Your top three are your top three and mine are mine. Does that make me wrong and you right? Does that make you wrong and me right? No, it just gives it just is your opinion and it's mine. I can live with that. I can That's live true. with that. And my hope is that we all can live with that and we can live harmoniously with that. Mm. That's what I want to bring, bro. I feel that. No, I definitely feel that because, I mean, you see Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp debate MJ and LeBron all the time about who's the best ever. But exactly like what you're saying, LeBron, probably the best all around player. But Michael, nobody can beat him when it's closing time. That boy's a killer. So I kind of think you're right. Like in sports, I, I actually take a class right now where I'm talking about that. It's like, We've gotten, we've gotten so much into an argumentative space with sports, especially with sports television, sports anchors, that everybody wants to argue their point. When in reality, you just got to give a man his flowers sometimes. Like, bro, you're the best at this. Congrats. You're the best at that. You, you're the best at this. Congrats. Here's your flowers. There's not that much of that anymore. It's so much winner take all. And I don't know why sports are like that, but I agree, Barry. Honestly, I think it's time that we put the rest, the goat term, because there's goats everywhere. There's goats everywhere. It's, it's, Tom, it's Tom Brady, who happens to be, a, oh, oh, you know where he went to school. It's Tom Brady. I mean, you go and do what you do with the, Patri the Patriots. And then you come to an organization that has not won, and then you do what you do down with Tampa Bay. I mean, is he not the greatest? Well, according to some people, no, he's not. He's not the GOAT because he's not the most athletic. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He doesn't, it's like, but he wins. He, he just wins. And you can't say that it was because he was on a stacked team in, in the, with the Patriots and then he was on a stacked team down there with Tampa because that wasn't what you were saying in week one and week two when they were out of sync and they weren't doing well and he was whatever he was Excellent. you know but they came and he he put together in the marathon of the season he was able to work with 
front office and change minds and plan and strategize and best use the talent that's around and get even better talent in and come up with a comprehensive strategic vision of how we can go and march this ball down the field. And eventually they were playing the best baseball, the best football at the opportune time. It's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? And it's like, and, and that's what I'm saying that for me, that's, that, that's what's great. That's what greatness is. It's not a flash in the pan. It's a willingness to put in the work, the, the work before you go out and show on the field. It's the, it's the practice, it's the, the planification, it's the execution of the strategies that are put in place, both physically and mentally. And that's what it's about. That's what makes great teams win. And I feel like that, that's what I'm about. That's, that's what, that's why I believe I had the success that I had. It's because physically, uh, I mean, okay, physically I was able to do what I was able to do physically. Didn't hit the most home runs, this, that, and the other, but at specific times when I needed to steal a base, I stole a base. When I needed to try to drive the ball, then I would look for a, not, I wouldn't come out of my shell to try to do something because physically I'm just not that strong to do that. Didn't have enough bat speed to do that. Um, I'm listening to myself talking. I'm talking about a Derek Jeter. But I was disciplined enough to wait to get a ball in an area where I could juice it. So I would stay off that sinker down and wait for a mistake or just take a walk, wait for a mistake up in the zone, and then jump on that ball that's up in the zone because that pitcher knows that he can't make a mistake up in the zone. And you know good and well, when you say don't do this, that's exactly what's going to happen. So for me as a hitter, I had to stay disciplined enough to get a ball in an area where I could do what I needed to do with the ball. And so, you know, you talk about the GOAT. That's one of the reasons I think Jeter is one of the greatest of all times. That's why I think, uh, you know, Tom Brady is one of the greatest of all times. Not just the physical. It's the mental. It's the strategy. It's the focus. It's the the, the workman type of approach to it. Derek Jeter, Michigan, a Michigan guy, uh, 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 blue you collar. You had to say that again, didn't you? Well, well, I'm talking about the state of Michigan. I know, I'm, I'm just playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> I think it was Kalamazoo. But, you know, the reason I think he is one of the greatest of all times is, yes, physically, yes, ability, of course. But it's his, his approach, his approach. That's totally different than somebody else that just is so physically gifted that they just roll out of bed and could just kill it, right? Tom Brady, the same way. So my perspective being a, a guy who was kind of a glue guy, uh, kind of, you know, my, my, the guys that I idolize weren't the flashy, um, you know, the, the sensational guys. It was the guys that, plan, methodical, pragmatic approach to the game. And of course did well, but it wasn't all about the flash. It was about the plan, you know, the Jeter play, him backing up the, the overthrow in, 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 uh, in Oakland and backhanding the ball to the catcher. He's seen that guy miss the cutoff man 150 times. So he was like, I know he's about to throw the ball over the guy's head. So we anticipated that. And that was one of the greatest plays you know, in the history of the game, 
And the reason it happened is because he was able to anticipate that was going to happen because he's seen it so many times and he had the gall to get out of position to run over there where, where the shortstop normally isn't over there. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's the kind of things that for me are attractive in my mind that make players great. MJ, all around great. LeBron, all around great. You know, these guys are just amazing athletically, but in their strategy, in their planning. And what LeBron uses his platform to do, which MJ didn't really have, but LeBron and the way that he uses his platform now to make positive change, it's just amazing, just amazing. So everything is relative. The scale has changed from the days when I played to now when MJ played to now that LeBron's doing his thing. So it's different. Both guys, like you said, give them their flowers. You were great. You are great. And we appreciate your greatness. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, excellent point about doing the extra stuff. You know, I kind of, Barry, it's, it's, it's kind of weird with my generation because everything's flashy. Everybody's, Instagram, like flashy, just over the top. But when you, when, at least when I look at who I try to embody myself as and who I try to just take to the next level with my, with my own personal beliefs, it's those guys like LeBron. It's those guys like, I don't even know who LeBron, Kobe, who just work, go at it, wake up 6am already got grind on their mind and they just go at it. And I think you like, like you, you were one of those guys, you Oscar Robertson, just many guys who are like that, not really into the flash. And it's kind of weird. Cause I have to like, as like, I have my own show, like I have to be a little bit of flash and like, I'm okay with that. Cause like, I got a big personality, but I think at my core and what winners have in common is the fact that they are disciplined. Like you mentioned, they're disciplined, they're hardworking, and they really just are about their business. And at the end of the day, I think that's what it's all about being about your business and being disciplined, hardworking guy. It really is, man. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the flash comes, I think from a, an athlete's perspective, the flash comes as a result of being in position. You know, uh, a lot of times I remember um, watching uh, some shortstops, uh, and this is something I really studied because I wanted to be as good as I could potentially be uh, at shortstop. So I watched different techniques of, of players. And one thing that I noticed was a lot of flashy plays happen because of athleticism, but lack of positioning so you know I'm watching I'm watching highlights of games and I see um, a shortstop get to the bag late and a throw be a little bit off the bag and the shortstop reaching out for the bag touching the bag with one foot reaching out doing a pirouette and throwing the ball to first base and the the announcers losing their mind like oh my goodness what a great play and then as I'm sitting there with my teammates and, and we're looking at them like, 
That throw wasn't, he didn't need to do that. We're sitting there like the people that are outside of the building are so enamored with this play that this guy makes. And we are sitting in the clubhouse saying, that dude was so out of position. He had to do that. Or, or in many cases, he stayed out of position so he could do that. Hmm. You know, so he could he could make it flashy. He didn't need to make it flashy. You know, what I'm saying <laughs> so. So there are there are there, both of those do exist. And you know, yeah, you got to promote. And it, in today's world, it is about self promotion. And you're right, Instagram or whatever it is that you young folks do, you ain't go. You're not. You're not putting your worst day out there it's your best day it's your best side it, listen that's just what it is it's all about self-promotion and you got to do that in today's world I'm just glad that I it wasn't the situation where I had to be because I do not have that personality I'm the guy that likes to fly under the radar and um, you know and of course under the radar at my time when I was coming up allowed me to have the success that I had under the radar for Derek Jeter in New York, Tom Brady doing his thing under the radar. Yeah, you're on the radar, but you don't see the off field antics and the Instagram and the postings and all this kind of about these guys. That's what I appreciate. That's the that's what I appreciate. You keep keep your stuff tight and it's personal. You know what I'm saying? So different time. As I said, MJ and LeBron, totally different platforms. Right. MJ did what he did. LeBron's doing he 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 does, you know. LeBron has the, the the whole social media stuff, and MJ did not. And you know, I don't really know either of them very well personally. So, I mean, I can't say. But what I see is greatness now, and what I saw from MJ was greatness then. Give them their flowers because they both had drip. And whatever it is that y'all say nowadays, because they were some bad boys. Period. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I agree. I agree. Yeah, well, yeah. Barry, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I appreciate you again. You've been one of my heroes growing up. I can remember going to Great American Ballpark. Specifically, I remember a play. I don't know when it was, but I was with my dad. And somehow, someway, you jumped up, leaped into the air, caught the ball. And then threw it to first base to get the double play. I don't remember what game it was, but like from that moment on, I was enamored with Reds baseball. I can remember that specific play. So Barry, thank you for being such a big part of my childhood and really introducing me to the game of baseball, man. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you for having me. I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate you for having me on and and good luck with you, man, because, uh, you know, it's uh, it's refreshing to have conversations like this. Uh, many interviews, people don't really do their their research. So it's refreshing to have this kind of a conversation. And I look forward to having many of these conversations in the broadcast booth this year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.